Hello, welcome to episode number 32 of the I Am A Champion show. Uh, today, guys, I'm super excited about our guest because he talks about a multitude of things. Uh, when I met him, uh, it was like last week or a couple weeks ago, the one thing that was really stuck out to me, I know we talked about NIL, but he also talks about like why 12-year-olds are winning for all the wrong reasons. And it almost was like uh, talking about, you know, Little League World Series, how awesome it is, how great it is, but at the same time, at what cost too, right? So I'm really excited about uh, this conversation today. I know something that we talked a lot about was youth sports as well. Like, yes, we're winning all costs, but at what cost too? Oh yeah. Well, so it's really funny. Ironically, I was just talking to a friend about the world series thing and how like, I really, I love that there's kids playing and stuff, but I just can't imagine being a 10 to a 12 year old playing on the world stage with that kind of pressure, with that kind of expectations. You see these kids crying, there's sponsorships, there's money behind it. And yeah, the purest game it is, it is a baseball game, but I just, I don't know if it's worth the cost that I see it doing externally. And then, on top of that, um, definitely want to hear what he about hear what Mark has to say about the NAL stuff. I see the benefits of it. There's some parts I deeply agree with as it relates to the athletes, but there's obviously some things that are, I think, are not as good. And I want to see how he's what his thoughts are and how to handle that, and how, especially protect the youth at an earlier age. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, say Jimmy jumped off the screen. Oh, there he is. He's back now. Oh my god. No, nah, but what you mentioned on that too, you talk about the Caraco pitcher. They had like yeah. had that injury. And they're thinking about it might be a Tommy John injury or something like that at the age of 12. I mean, and I think it goes back to, like I said, what's the overuse of kids playing year-round sports and injuries and things like that. And people think these kids are going to play college professional and they're getting hurt at that early ages, which, you know, it makes us think, like, is it is it worth it, you know, with what we're doing? So, yeah. yeah. Let's go ahead and bring on uh, Mark today. Mark, uh, good morning to you. and Thank you for joining us from uh, sunny Southern California. Uh, where it's paradise every day, it sounds like. Thank you, Jason and Jim and Jonathan. Nice to join you. And yes, it's another day in paradise here in Redondo Beach, California. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you have a long, extensive background in sports, you know, growing up in Syracuse, also all the things you've been involved in as well. You know, and we talked about, like, why 12-year-olds are winning for all the wrong reasons. And and let's get into that. Like, what are some of these wrong reasons that you you have that you're conceptualizing and and what can we do about that? You know, how can we make it better where they're winning for the right reasons? Well, I think it's a natural evolution of sports. Um, you know, in America here and, and probably worldwide, you know, we sensationalize athletes. We sensationalize success. You know, I don't care if it's, uh, you know, LeBron James or, you know, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or, you know, around the world, the soccer players. And for good reason. Lots of these guys are very successful. They're very entertaining and uh, they drive a lot of uh, commerce with the brands that they represent. And so they, we do look up to them. Um, but I think the American sports has gotten a little bit too crazy. And my opinion is that, uh, you know, as the sports management world has gotten younger, the pressures on the youth, the pressures on the parents, the pressures on the communities have gotten greater. And I think it's, uh, I think it's dangerous. Hey, Mark, what's your message maybe for, you know, parents that, you know, have youth and maybe they have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old and they're going through youth sports for the first time. What's a message you can give to them of maybe how to go through youth sports so their child has a good experience, right? They do as well as a family. 
Yeah, so my premise is that 12-year-olds win for all the wrong reasons. And, and what that means is that there's almost no correlation between 12-year-old athletic success and future athletic success. Typically, the 12-year-old success is based on the kid grew early, you know, was bigger than the others. Um, maybe has better coaching because the parents have money. Maybe has better equipment. Maybe is specialized in not playing multiple sports. And all of those things, you know, while they set you up for success at age 12, by the time you're 16, it doesn't matter, right? And Jonathan can speak to this as a professional athlete. You know, there's lots of stories of kids that were late bloomers, and that's that's a different conversation. My conversation is if you've ever been in a room with a Division One athlete, if you've ever been in a room with a professional athlete, they're different. They're different, you know? I remember when I was young, I was very fortunate to shake the hand of Willie Mays, right? To say, hey, kid, one of the greatest – baseball players ever and I was shocked at the size of his hands shocked you know not tall in stature certainly you know thick and he was in his later years but his hands were massive you know he had God-given eyesight he had God-given strength whether he played baseball at 12 or not made no difference he was going to be one of the greatest players in the history of the sport and so we celebrate success at a young age we idolize these kids we give them trophies we put them on all-star teams. We travel all around the country. And what is missing? Discipline, structure, teamwork, fundamentals, health and wellness. You talk about, you know, injuries to baseball pitchers in particular. So I just am worried that we're focusing on the wrong things. And my premise, therefore, is that 12-year-olds win for all the wrong reasons. Well, it's funny to me, and Jimmy and I talk about this, uh, where we're very aligned. You know, I understand there's systems out there. There's always, it's, it's been there since the dawn of time, whether it's youth football and basketball and baseball and soccer or whatever, all the way up to the high school level going into college. But at the end of the day, the system, the catalyst in that system that makes it work and stuff for the kid is mom and dad, the parents or grandma and grandpa. You, parents have got to take that responsibility. You know, I had very fortunate people that were older than me had been through it before, had been professional athletes, had been through the system. I was following older cousins and older brothers that could check me and keep me in place and made me understand. You know, especially when you become a pro athlete, I told my niece, my nephews that are that have gotten into league, dude, you're not that good looking, you're not that smart, you're not that great. You, what, where were these people when you did when you weren't balling? So let's keep this perspective. You were you were living in the basement. You were still taking out the garbage. Grandma was still whooping your butt when you did something wrong. So I was there. So let's be real here. And I was lucky to have that. But when parents, when, when those parents aren't seeing this, and Jimmy and I talk about this, when they're not seeing the system. You know, I, I know your program, your business, I'm going to give it a plug, your NIL business to help people. What do you suggest to parents? Where do they go? How do they get better at understanding? I was lucky. I had, I had people in my life, but some of those parents don't have that guidance. Yeah, so it, it's difficult, uh, Jonathan. So my philosophy on parenting is it's, you know, a reasonable parent runs down the middle of the highway. Sometimes we veer to the right, which is the crazy out of control parent. Sometimes we veer to the left, which is the parent that doesn't participate, doesn't support. And we've all been to youth sporting events where there's kids that they're always late. They never have their equipment. Someone has to pick them up because there's nobody supporting them, right? Then we get to the field early and there's the parent that's making his kid doing wind sprints before practice, right? You know, so the two extremes. Good parenting, in my opinion, you know, we've all been to either side of the road. Me, you know, sign me up for both of those cases. But good parenting, you come back to the middle of the road, right? And so we have moments of out of control, craziness and intensity. Yes. But we come back to the middle. Do we have moments where we're like, I do not want to drive my kid to practice. It's Sunday afternoon. It's summertime. I'm going to stay at the lake, you know, 
or they're supposed to be doing something from a discipline standpoint that they don't and you oversee it. And so good parents come back to the middle of the road, Jonathan. And I think the general concept is, you know, look, we sensationalize success at the highest level, but we have to understand what it takes. It takes God-given talent, but yeah. then it takes discipline. It takes structure. It takes a, um, diversity in terms of athletic accomplishments and experiences. I think a great example, to, you know, and maybe your audience doesn't know this, but there's a big story out of Atlanta right now. There's a pre-Asian that just made the Atlanta Falcons football team. His name is Jared Bernhardt. He and his three brothers come from Orlando, Florida. His father was a coach. I think his father passed away. Um, but the three boys all played Division One lacrosse at Maryland, and a couple of them won a national championship. Two years ago, Jared Bernhardt was the player of the year in Division One men's lacrosse. It's called the Tawarton Award. It's that version of the Heisman. Yep. He had an extra year of eligibility, went to Ferris State in Michigan, won the Division II National Championship last year. I believe was MVP. Signed a free agent contract with the Falcons and just made the team. He played four years of college football or four years of college lacrosse, one year of college football, and he made an NFL roster. Why? Because he wasn't a 12-year-old that won for all the wrong reasons. He actually developed his athletic ability, his teamwork, his discipline, his dedication to the sport, and yes, he had some God-given talents. I think it's a great story. So same with Chris Hogan from the Patriots, who was a college lacrosse player at Penn State. So those are examples that I know of, of diversity in athletics that really round out your experience. And if you're good enough, they will find you. Hey, Mark, you know, something you bring up because I, I that story relates to me because there's a kid I coached in basketball through sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. He went to a high school that my nephew went to. His parents wouldn't let him play football. Finally, his senior year, they decided to. They had a coaching change. He played football his senior year, played like two games, was hurt, and then wasn't able to play the rest of the season. 6'5", athletic, tight end. He gets a four-hour scholarship to Wyoming. And so, like I said, I mean, these things happen all the time. And, and I want to kind of go into this. I feel like parents, Mark, and I know you might experience this, but they invest a lot of time and money in new sports. Playing year-round, right? Traveling, doing all these type of things. And they're investing so much, and they expect a return on their investment. My kid's going to play varsity sport, right? My In high school, my kid's going to get a college scholarship. My kid's going to maybe play professionally or get an NIL deal, right? And a lot of times it doesn't happen. And I tell parents all the time, it's you got to invest in what they're going to become through the sport, not what they're going to like achieve so much through the sport. Can you kind of speak to that to parents as well? Yeah. So my current company is called the Players NIL, and it's an educational program for name, image, and likeness student athletes. We have two premises, two sentences in our, in our mission. One is to use athletics to better our lives. And two is to use athletics to better the lives of the people around us. And so I would say to all of the parents out there, how are you using athletics to better the lives of your kids? So in 20 years, when they're 32 years old, right, and their athletic career is long overdue, and you, we know the saying, you know, the older I get, the better I was, right? So they can still talk about their athletic prowess. But when they are parents, when they are married partners, when they are employees, when they are managers, did they use athletics to better their life? And so to parents of young kids, what are you doing to use athletics to better your kid's life? You know, do they take out the garbage? Do they have to put their clothes away? What are their chores? Are they yes. working a job? Are they on time? Are they respectful to the coach? Are they respectful to the teammates? Do they have compassion for their community? Are they giving back in certain ways? 
And I know it sounds corny and it sounds old school, and I guess I am, uh, thankfully. Um, but I think if you use athletics to round out and better your kids' lives, then good things will come on and off the field. You know, Mark, you talked about athletic diversity. And some of these clubs, though, you know, soccer's notorious for this, volleyball's notorious for this. They're like – they press you to play year round. Sometimes baseball is like that as well. You know, a lot of them are in a ways. As a parent, what would you suggest as a rebuttal? Like, hey, you know what? My kid doesn't have to play year round. I want him to have or her to have multiple experiences. How can you give parents some some tips on how to approach a club organization about, no, we're going to have them do multiple things. We're going to have them engage in different interests. We're not going to have and, and not succumb to the pressure of feeling like they got to play year round to be in a certain club or be within a certain sport. Well, I think the age of specialization has been coming for a while, right? And I think it manifests itself at the 12-year-old level. Those kids are, you know, dedicated to a sport and they're better than their peers because they're practicing more, more coaching, better equipment. But by the time you get to 16, you know, the kids that's faster is going to play. The kid that can jump higher is going to play. The kid that's stronger is going to play. The kid that's more disciplined and coachable is going to play. And it had nothing to do with specializing in a specific sport at age 12. That's my opinion. Yeah, and I'll piggyback on that, Jace. Um, I'm from the era where we didn't have to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I mean, in our school, we had, like, you got a pin for being a varsity letterman. They got a letter in a varsity sport. There's a plaque in our school that has, that, that are, like, anybody who's got five pins. Like, you've varsity lettered at five different sports, and everybody in my family is on that plaque. So you can imagine the pressure I felt to, like, make sure I was on that plaque. But the thing that it made me realize, like, I took wrestling just to get a fifth pin. But what it taught me at 6'4 or something, I was able to tackle better. So I was able to put my hands on somebody and not see them and get off blocks and stuff. I didn't see that before I did it. It helped me become a better tackle in football. I took track. I got better at running, speed, jumping. I, my dad made me take ballet in the offseason when I was – because I was growing so fast. I learned to control my body. So to me, I think – I would say the opposite. Specialization may make you focus on that sport. But you're going to go against a kid that has natural talent or is a better discipline or a better technician, and you're not going to know what to do. And that's when the rubber meets the road. And I, I agree with Mark on that. So I think what I, if I had to give advice on that, diversify your kid. Give them as much, quote, unquote, the old-fashioned thing, how many tools that you have in your toolbox. If you only have a hammer, everything's a nail. Well, I go back to what you guys were saying, too. If you think about clubs, and there's a, there's a lot of good clubs out there. There's clubs that maybe don't do it as well. But why do they go year-round? Because they got to pay the bills. Yep. If they're not going year round, how are they going to pay if they have a facility? If they have administrators, right? They got to pay the bills. So I think that that parents have to look at it. That going back to what you said, Jason, is if somebody's putting you pressure to play year round, you don't want to play year round. There's enough clubs and places out there that you can find to help your child get the experience that they're looking for and the balance to use the family. And I think Mark, one thing you mentioned too, I think it also I tell people all the time. They'll ask me, like, what club should I play for? Should I play for this club, this club? And some of these clubs do really good things, especially in basketball. But I'm like, who's your coach? Who's coaching your child? Who is it going to be? Because a club could have 25 <clears throat> coaches, right? And it might be a really good club. But if they have somebody coaching your child that's not that great of a coach, because in any profession, there's better, right, doctors than others. There's better lawyers, whatever. There's better coaches. So that's why I tell them, who's coaching your child? What's their mission philosophy as a coach? How are they going to teach them? How are practice going to be run? Find that out because that's going to be the experience your child's going to have. I don't know if you can speak to that, Mark, as well. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's it's 100%. And, and Jim and Jonathan, 
the world is littered with talented people that never make it. Why? Because they're bad characters, right? Because they weren't disciplined. The coach didn't give them, you know, any structure. There was no teamwork. I mean, the, the NFL is the ultimate litmus test for that. How many physical specimens have knocked it out of the chart at the combine and never made a roster, right? Because of the intangibles, right? They were bad characters. They were bad actors. They were late. You know, they did stupid things at the combine, never even got the test, right? And so the coaching part of it, Jim, is important. And I think, you know, kids don't want to hear from the parents all the time, even though the parents should take the lead in this. Coaches play an important role, right, in terms of leadership, setting the example, creating an environment, creating a community. And uh, I believe that coaching is very important, Jim. I totally agree. I think when you talk about two coaching, you brought up a great point. I want a coach coaching my child that's going to emulate how I want my child to act, right? Right. And also, I want the coach to be able to, you know, have discipline, but have certain principles they stand for and hold my child accountable in a good way, not a demeaning way, but a demanding way. There's got to be accountability. And I think, as you said, there's a lot of coaches that don't hold kids accountable, right? That don't stress maybe character and certain life skills and just let things go to win maybe a trophy, a medal or whatever. And to me, that's setting that kid up for really failure in life because they think they can act this way and still be able to play or still be able to be on teams and have success. And that's how not life really works. Right, Mark? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I just watched a documentary about uh, point guards in the history of New York City, all these unbelievable point guards that came out of New York. You know, Pearl Washington, Kenny Anderson, point gods or something, you know, sham god. I mean, unbelievable athletes. And they highlight a lot of these guys that went on to college and, and many of them to the pros. But they show a few that didn't get so far, you know. And so the character becomes an issue. And, you know, whether they weren't coachable, they didn't listen, they didn't have coaching, Maybe they didn't have a family to support them or a community to embrace the right things. So coaching is critical. Leadership is critical, I would say. And I think, you know, that's part of my mission is using athletics to make the world better, you know, to give back to the people around you, you know, as community leaders, as administrators of youth programs, as coaches of youth programs, as parents, you know, in our peer group, you know, what do we celebrate on Friday night? You know, was it that the 12 year olds won the tournament last weekend, even though little Jimmy, got thrown out of the game at age 12 for giving, you know, bad behavior with the referee, you know, and the parents don't say anything because we won the tournament. You know, we, we, we overlook a lot of that stuff and it's been going on forever. The world's full of characters that didn't, didn't make it through the system. Well, I'll add to that. And I, and I, and I know the phrase and we've all heard it winning cures everything. Yeah. But sometimes winning is what caused the sickness in the first place. And people don't realize that. And I think there's an intangible to Jimmy's point where when we entitle kids and let them get away with things, I'm not saying parents shouldn't look out for the kid or give them a better life or doing it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's a mental, emotional, and physiological toughness that a kid has to learn, which is the value what sports brings you. And some of us learn it late because we're, we're immature or we don't have that guidance or that support system, whether it's a people of faith, whether it's a community or mom and dad. But then there's, a, there's an intangible thing of this is what I want to do and I'm going to do whatever it takes and I'm going to do it on my own. Like there's a um, the Cleveland Browns this year, I was watching the store and I loved it. And I, I shared it with my daughter, who's a D1 athlete playing in college for volleyball. His name is, um, and I'm going to mess the name up so I apologize, people. Uh, his name is Damon Sheehy Giuseppe or something like that, or Giuseppe. He's a kid that was really homeless, was was trying to get into the league. He tried to play at Phoenix College. Um, he tried some arena and, can- and Canadian League football things, didn't get picked up. 
he went to an open tryout and they kind of, and he just bulled his way in there and they said, Hey, yeah, I'm here for the tryout. And they say, Hey, do you, uh, how do you know this? Because I, I know the player personnel I got invited. He goes, so, you know, Alonzo. Yeah, I know Alonzo. It's Alonzo, um, Alonzo Highsmith. I uh, actually know him personally with the Browns. So the guy lied, got in the trials, balled out. In the trials, so he got invited back to a second trial, balled out in that preseason on, on in the preseason this year. First time he touched the ball, he ran it back for a touchdown. He, he made the 53 man roster. Like he did whatever it took. He was training, he was living in his car. He was getting up an hour early before he go to the practice facility and training on his own. That's, that's mom and dad. That's family. That's grit. That's stuff. There is no club. There is no amount of time and no trophies that's going to put that into a kid. Either you have that or you don't. And I really would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how do you recognize that in a kid early? Because your mom and dad or your uncle or grandma or grandpa or whatever, or you're the coach. Because Jimmy talks about stories as a coach, and I really admire his philosophy a lot. I'd, I'd want a kid to play for him. And I just want to know how can you bring that, see, how can you notice that in a kid and stop, and stop you know, enforcing the other stuff that we're talking about? Yeah, so uh, I was fortunate enough to, to be involved in youth athletics. So I've seen a lot of six, seven, eight, 10, 12 year olds go through the system, right? And uh, I think if you, if you pay attention, you know, there's little things that you see, you know, and attendance is one. Do they come to every practice, right? You know, are, are they, do they forget their equipment all the time, you know, or are they, you know, ready to go? You know, when you ask them to do something, do they give you the old body language or do they say enthusiastically, let's go? You know, how do they interact with the other kids? You know, are they a leader? Are they a follower? Do they stand up for someone that maybe, isn't as advantaged as they, as, as others. And so, you know, there's characteristic traits that I think come out, you know, that I, they say that your personality is fully developed at a very young age, right? Like maybe at age three or something like that. So I think what athletics does though, is it brings out your personality, right? You know, it's a great litmus test. I think driving a car is another way to do that, by the way. So, you know, if you, if you ever ride with someone, you know a lot about their personality when you're in the passenger seat. But I think athletics does the same thing. You know, you put a 12-year-old in a competitive pressure situation, need one shot to win a game, you know, or even a 16-year-old, you know, a young, a young student athlete, you're going to find out what they're made of pretty quick. I think that's pretty obvious. Hey, by the way, I know, Jonathan, we talk a lot about the – Las Vegas Raiders, right? The Raiders, just the Raiders. I mean, they it's could be anywhere. They could go. Uh, they could be in Nevada, yeah, uh, Wyoming next year. I don't know where they go half the time. But what I'm going to say, though, the Raiders and the Chiefs, we go back and forth. But you know the problem with youth sports? I think you know where it started at? It's Al Davis. Just win, baby. Just win. <laughs> that's where it's just win, baby. How about that? Because that's what we're doing in youth sports, just win, baby, huh? But I had to bring that up. I want to flow into this, so Mark. So your company with, you know, going with the NIL and you talk about you have education, like you educate people, which I think is great. Higher level awareness with what's going on in sports. But you kind of talk about there's like five pillars, I think, that you have the foundation. Can you talk what are the five pillars that you kind of educate people on to help them navigating through this, especially the NIL? Uh, great question, Jim. Thank you. So the Players NIL is an online educational program designed to help student athletes in their NIL journey. We start at age 16, so juniors in high school, when they're starting to look at their college options, when they're starting to get recruited, uh, when they're starting to make coaching decisions about who do they want to be with, right? Personal branding has never been at a premium greater than it is today. You can create a brand overnight. You know, you can kill a brand overnight. You know, one bad tweet, you know, one bad photo, one bad decision. 
one bad arrest that gets captured on a cell phone or a fight or something like that. So we're in a, a double-edged sword here. But name, image, and likeness in its purest form allows student athletes to profit from their name, from their image, and from their likeness, which means they can sign autographs, they can make appearances, they can appear in video games, uh, they can post on social uh, promoting brands for pay. There are five principles that I believe that every student athlete needs to at least understand, if not master, in order to maximize those opportunities. So pillar one is personal brand development, and it's basically digital marketing. How do you build a, an audience? You know, everyone has a, in college today has an Instagram account or TikTok or whatever it is, but it's mostly friends and family, right? It's the people that they went to high school with. It's the guys and girls on the team. It's their circle of friends. But do they really have an audience beyond that? Have they attracted interest? Right. How do you do that? Two is if you can do that, the second pillar is influencer and brand relationships. How do you leverage an audience with a brand? In other words, how do you tell a story? How do you become a uh, force multiplier for that brand in echoing their, their, their products and their sales strategy? Three is a little bit more mechanical. It's tax, legal, and compliance. So name, yes. image, and likeness pays kids. Um, most of them are 1099, Jonathan. So they're not withholding taxes. You know, there are some contracts that are out there that have been really scrutinized and not very well thought out by the uh, student athletes that signed them, like giving away your lifetime rights for a $500 fee. Um, the compliance thing is a little bit murky right now. We're still the Wild West, but as Nick Saban says, we're going to have some guardrails around that. Pillar four is a pillar that's very important to me, and it goes toward the beginning of our conversation here, and, and it's philanthropy and community service. How do you give back? Right? What can you do to give back and appreciate the community, Jonathan, that supported you through your five letters? They're not just your family, but your coaches, your school, your church, you know, the local Lions Club, the local, local youth sports. You know, do you go back? You know, if you are a college athlete and you go back to your hometown, you're celebrated. I don't care if it's Division Three or Power Five, Division One. right? Yeah. You're, you have an opportunity to influence those young kids. So that's pillar four. If you were successful, the first four, we hope pillar five is important to you, and that's financial literacy. You know, so there who who can't benefit from a financial literacy course? So these pillars are ga are gauged and and meant and meant to be for student athletes, Jim, but they're really life skills of today's young uh, athletes and academic um, students. Uh, and I think that the players NIL is here for the right reasons, and that is to better the lives of the people around us. So I will say this, and I'm and I'm and I'm not trying to just specifically endorse anything, when I, but I will tell you, people that are listening, um, the players in IL. I've looked at the program. I've talked to Mark, and definitely, I wish I'd had this back when I was younger. I wish this existed, um, and I wish this was an opportunity there. And I think in those pillars, for me personally, I think three, four, and five are not separate. It's your your legal and compliance and the tax implications. Jimmy and Jason have heard this story. The number I always never forget is seven hundred forty six thousand eight hundred forty nine dollars and forty seven cents. That's how much money I owed in back taxes for not understanding financial literacy in my first contract. I didn't get that, and you know I went through a bunch of stuff with the IRS and worked it out. And then the philanthropy part that's tax write-offs, that's community service, that's stuff that can help you with that understanding of the tax implications, and it can expand your brand to bring in more money for the NL. And then the fifth is financial literacy. What do you do with that money? Do you buy real estate? Do you invest? Do you put it back in a college fund? Do you, um, this, you know, I don't want to give mom and dad something. It, it may not be that lucrative, but understand, like, my daughter has two NIL deals. And the first thing I asked her was, was I went right to, are you, are you responsible for the taxes on this? Are you 1099? 
And I went back to the lady and said, could we negotiate a percentage that she's going to take out of the deal that you cover the taxes on this and post like, so she can put it aside. So when the deal is over, they, the taxes are money there. So dad's not picking that up because if mom or dad claim her on her taxes, we're picking up the taxes on that income that she made from that NIL deal. And parents don't understand all that stuff. So if you're listening, this is a great, the player NIL, give it a shot, check it out, look at it, educate yourself. At the very least, you have some more information in your library to make some decisions and stuff. So I'm just telling you from experience, I would I would have given anything to go back and met, and met you at least in my sophomore year in college. So I knew what the hell I was doing because I didn't have a, faint, a freaking clue. I literally called my agent on my first check and said, who is FICA and why does she get some of my money? <laughs> I, I thought she was somebody, some person, and I didn't understand what that meant. And I was from an educated family, Dallas and Pure almost with IBM, and I still didn't understand what that meant. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you Mark, you know, you talked about one of the pillars is giving back. And, you know, 16, 17 year olds, sometimes they're like, what do you mean? I'm a teenager. What can I do? You know, can you give some like ideas on what are some things that really make a difference in, like you said, young kids' lives, maybe even like, you know, the elderly community as well? Like, what are some specific ways that young kids can learn to give back to their communities? Um, and be that pillar that, you know, that give them that better positive name, image, and likeness uh, persona. Yeah, so the, the premise of the pillar, Jason, is that, you know, giving back is a good exercise. It's good for your soul. It's good for your mental health. It develops you outside of sports because one of the things we're going to talk about later on in, in our program will be, you know, post-career guidance. What do you do when the ball stops bouncing? And for those kids that they've been focused, you talk about, you know, being uh, specialized in sports, Jim, well, or, or in a specific sport, imagine just being specialized in sports and developing no interest outside of sports, okay? And so, Jason, what community service and philanthropy can do is give you that vision, whether it be art, food, um, could be religion, could be travel. Uh, youth sports is the most obvious thing that you can do to go back, you know, to put on a clinic, to volunteer at your Pop Warner League, um, to go back to school and speak to the kindergarten class, you know, show them your Jersey from college. Or if you're fortunate enough to get a ring for a conference championship, go back to the junior high and show the eighth graders. If you work hard, this is the ring that you can get. You know, those things are, are healthy, right? And there's a financial component to it. Also, you can run a camp and a clinic yourself. It's a great way to make money and to leverage your in, you know, community celebrity. So there's lots of ways to do it. I think it's, again, about building a well-rounded persona on and off the field. Well, I think the financial literacy part, Mark and Jonathan, you guys can speak to this, but what, what is the percentage of professional athletes that after so many years they're bankrupt? It's a high percentage, right, of these athletes. And people are like, once I get and be professional, I'm going to be set up for life. But what is, what is the percentage? Isn't it pretty high of individuals after so many years, after they're playing, they're bankrupt? It's, it's also scalable, Jimmy. It's like when you first retire or something that you still have money, you still have something just left over. There's something there. Maybe there's something in the bank. And um, the ones that go broke in that percentage and do something after that, that first, like it's usually th it's a three year, three to four year window. It's about 30 to 38 percent. After that four year window, if they haven't done something in that three to four year window, it jumps to 68. Like it almost doubles. So that three to four year window when you're either about to quit or you've just quit, that's where it's most critical because you're still in the, hey, this money's here. Everybody loves me. They're going to give me a job. That goes real fast. I always, I always tell people, when you go from the crowd noise to not playing, that silence is deafening. It is really deafening. The phone's not ringing. People aren't cool. It's not that. 
girls that talk to you in the bar, they're gone now. Everybody's all thing. All that stuff that you thought was cool is gone quickly, especially if it was done from an injury or you weren't one of the star players. So that three to four years after, that's the key, people, is that's when you got to make something happen. One thing I wanted to mention, too, Mark, you, you help individuals with recruiting process, too. And I think there's a lot of parents out there and even student athletes that don't understand the recruiting process. I get asked a lot, like, what should I do? How should I get my child out there to get known, to be able to receive a college scholarship? Is there suggestions you can give to parents out there as their children get into like the high school age of what to do to help them to be able to be in a position to receive a college scholarship? Well, remember I said that it's maybe the greatest time in the history of the world to create a brand, right? Well, part of the brand is that you're a potential college athlete, right? And so you think about all the travel teams that are out there, and I'm not talking about the 12-year-old travel teams. Now I'm talking about sophomore, junior year in high school where recruiting is actually happening, right? And so, um, you know, pick a good coach, pick a good program, go to the right travel team experiences, and also be proactive. You know, uh, when my kids were going through this, we were in a small town in central New York. We had just started uh, a, a high school lacrosse program. We, no one knew who we were. And we had some talented kids. And what I encouraged people to do was get on the road and go visit the coaches and the schools. You know, big school, small school, country school, city school, north, south, east, west, far away from home, close to home. Go visit, be proactive. Even if the coach is, in, is not on campus, go walk around, talk to some students, talk to some athletes, you know, network, um, and be able to tell your story, right? This is what Players NIL can help you do is, you know, I'm Jim Huber. I'm from this high school. I play this sport. These are my statistics. But more importantly, this is who I am as a person. This is what I'm interested in. This is the community service that I've been involved with. This is my dream from an educational standpoint. This is what I want to be when I grow up. You know, these are my circle of uh, interest and develop a relationship as a person to make sure that the fit is good because what's happening today, you know, we have a couple things going on with NIL, the transfer portal, right? So essentially, we, and we've got free agency, right? We've got no salary cap, right? It's a crazy time to be in college sports. And because these kids have been pampered and told that they're great, and as soon as their college coach doesn't treat them like a superstar, they transfer, right? They move to another school, right? Or they've been built up and told how great they are and they go to a power five school and they're never going to touch the field and they're disappointed and they're frustrated and they transfer back to a school. Uh, and everybody says, Oh, what happened? Why did you leave that school? Because I overshot my expectations because I really wasn't prepared to do that. So that, that brings up a couple of good points. So Going back to the recruiting process, there's, of course, NCAA, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. there's NEI, right? There's junior colleges. There's these different divisions. How do you, like, suggest an individual, like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. There's all this out there, and I may be not hearing from certain schools, and I got to be proactive. How do they go about saying, okay, figuring out what schools would be good for them to target? Yeah, so, I, you know, I think it takes some visits. I think you have to go, you know, and I think you have to be on campus and see – what does the building look like? You know, what does the parking lot look like? You know, what is this, what's the town look like? You know, is it a town full of bars or is it a town where there's no life, where there's, the kids have no interaction with the community, which means the social life is all on campus and fraternity or apartments. And that's fine, but you have to know the difference between that, you know, go to a game, see how the fans react, see who's in the stands, pay attention, 
You know, look at who's supporting the program. Get a program from one of the games and look at who the community sponsors are. You know, is it the Ford dealership? Is it the restaurant? You know, understand, do they have the things that you're interested in? And so uh, it can be over overwhelming, Jim. And certainly with 580 or 500,000 student athletes in college playing sports this academic year, a lot of kids have found their way, not all of them happy. But I think if you pay attention, do your homework and be realistic about your goals, you have a chance. And that goes back to, like you said, say say somebody gets four or five offers or a couple offers, right? They got scholarship offers. And they got to decide which school to go to. And like I said, some of them are going to schools maybe that are above them that are never going to play, right? And they're not happy and they're leaving after a year. What is the best way you can tell maybe parents and student athletes, okay, you got these offers and you got to figure out what's going to be the best fit for you that you're going to go and have maybe a great experience at that school, not only academically, but athletically, what suggestions could you give them maybe to look at the pros and cons, figure out what's going to be the best choice for us? Well, it's a difficult choice. There's no question. There's a lot of pressure. I see Jonathan smiling because he's, he's chomping at the bit to chime in, but you know, it's a difficult choice. And I think it comes down to, you know, personality, you know, and, and make sure as a parent that you're celebrating your child, uh, your student athlete for who they really are and not promoting them to be something that they're not or not trying to put the square peg in the round hole. And I'll let Jonathan expand on that. Well, it's, I think the biggest thing, and I went through this recruiting process several times, especially recently with my daughter, and I made it very clear to her that you want to play volleyball in college. That's your goal. I get that. But I care about your education. If you went there and never saw the court, didn't hit a ball, I was, I'm, I'm personally okay with that. That's, that's between you and your coach and your system. But I want you to go to a place where you feel comfortable both on and off campus. You like the environment. You like what you, you, have, to, you have to look at a lot of factors. Um, the elephant in the room, what happened recently with BYU and the Duke volleyball player. You know, I, that's, that was going on when I was playing. I played at San Jose State. When we went to play the U, um, Utah State Vandals or we went to play Boise, we, were, we had escorts. We didn't go off campus because of racial issues in Utah. Not that they, all of Utah is like that, but you have to consider that. Utah offers you a full scholarship. Do you really want to be around that where you have to stay on campus and be concerned about that while you get an education, while you're struggling to be a D1 athlete? And that's, or, or if you're a female, is the environment safe for you that way? You have to consider that as a dad and a daughter. You want to feel comfortable. You want to feel safe, but you want to be happy because that is such a small window. It's four years of your whole life. And it's fine. And if, if you can celebrate it, great. But if you but you on the team, you made it, you got a scholarship, you got to be chosen. That in itself is a celebration. Everything after that is your kid. Let them enjoy it. Let them become their own adult. Um, my daughter struggled with some of this stuff sometimes emotionally, anxiety, confidence and stuff. I've had to talk to Jason. I've had to talk to um, to counselors about like so she can listen to dad, but it's different when she hears it from someone else. And I just think that it's very important. Like Jimmy said, how do you pick that school? You make this, you pick the school that's going to be best for you to develop as a person, not as an athlete, as a person. The athlete stuff is already given. You know how to practice, train, and deal with coaches and stuff. It's a different dynamic, but it's how you're going to be better as a person. I, I think, too. Go ahead, Mark. I was just going to chime in one last thing. I, I completely agree with Jonathan. And I, I guess on top of that, I would say – if you can use athletics to get you into a school that you might not normally be able to get into, that's a yep. great, that's a great, that's a great goal. Yep. Well, and I, and I think too, we live in such an instant gratification society, right? We want it now. And, you know, Jason and I were on a podcast recently with a guy named Trevor Hudgens that's playing for the Houston Rockets now. 
and he wasn't that highly recruited coming out of high school, went to a Division II school, and redshirted his first year, didn't even play, right? Had to go through the trial of going up against one of the uh, All-American point guards, one of the best in the country he's going against. And he said it was hard. It's really difficult. But he stayed the course, and then he ended up playing four years afterwards, two-time player of the year, won three out of four national championships, could have won four if they had COVID. But he was, like, loyal to the coach, committed him, knew there was a process he had to go through to get to where he wanted to be, and wasn't just giving up and going to the next best shiny object that's out there. And I'm going to go here now because this is difficult for me. Do you see that a lot with kids today? Like when adversity or struggles come up, it's like, and they're talking to mom and dad or whoever, their handlers, like, oh, no, they're not treating you well. Let's go here. Yeah, there's no question. That's why there's more transfers than ever before in the history of college athletics, right? Because we don't know how to deal with adversity and we don't know how to deal with criticism. Mm -hmm. And many of us, back to your earlier point, Jim, have not been coached the proper way. You know, I'm old school and there's a lot of old coaches that probably did a lot of things wrong, but there's a lot of old coaches that taught a lot of values. I mean, you know, John Wooden comes to mind with this pyramid of success and, you know, you can criticize John Wooden for lots of things, but I think his leadership is not one of them. And, And the way he developed his student athletes and, you know, Bill Walton and uh, Lou Alcindor, now Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I think would sing his praises for the lessons off the court. And I think, uh, unfortunately, today we're lacking some of that. And, you know, it's because we're celebrating the wins at age 12 and not celebrating the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, there's speaking of the NCAA in the process, there's a lot of things that can be violated if you're unfamiliar with them. The, the rule book for the NCAA of what you can and can't do is just monstrous. So you also talk about how you can prevent, uh, help people with, with some of these violations for like their NCAA eligibility, like educated them on that. Mark, you want to talk about how you can help some of these athletes prepare for some of those things to be aware of it, especially with NIL, some of the things that are so murky about that, but to keep them on the right course and not get them in trouble down the road on things that they were just unaware of. Yeah. So the backdrop is that the NCAA basically washed their hands of all rules and guidance in terms of name, image, and likeness. They want to take on zero responsibility. And so they push that to the states and to the local level, to the schools. So you always have to check with your school and your local state. Uh, as of the other day, there's still, there's only 15 states uh, that allow NIL in high school, for instance, right now. So there are not a lot of guidelines, Jason, in terms of the rules. But our pillar three, which is tax, legal, and compliance, talks about all of those things, talks about the things that you need to pay pay attention to, the questions that you need to ask to make sure that you stay compliant. Yeah, and I've I've heard about that whole thing with the high school NIL coming in, and I knew it was coming. I mean, we all knew. I just was hoping it would give us – we'd get a little bit more time to get the the college one underway so we'd have a guide rails and some guidelines for it. I am – venomously against the whole high school NIL deal. I'm just like, you can't even, you're not old enough to buy it, drive a car or own anything or understand taxes. And I just see too much abuse there, whether it's a coach or as a parent or people hanging around. I've seen this in AAU basketball where guys grab all those super teams. They know this kid's going to make it. And they're like, Hey, throw me a bone when you get older. And they're making their living to Jim's point. They're making a living all year round on these kids. And they're in that one or two out of hundred that actually make it, they get that kind of money back and where they expect a kickback from mom and dad or mom and dad, them and the family work together to use this kid or this athlete person to fund the family. And I just think this is a, this is a really slippery slope without guidelines. I, I, I'm just not for it and stuff. And I just think to me, I think parents just need to realize, like, like he said, there's local 
state and your school regulations and laws, and you don't want your kid to miss out on a further opportunity because they're just unaware. So, I mean, that's another reason why I would recommend this program. I think and I, the player NIL, even if it's not everything, it's another, like I said, another book in your library and stuff like that. Hey, is there any way I can bring this up, though? My, my son is a first grader, and <laughs> he went to flag football practice uh, yesterday, and my wife was working on him the other night, and he was getting frustrated and angry. She's like, take that out, and you're throwing the football. And he started throwing some lasers. And last night, he threw two ropes. I mean, I ain't kidding you not. They had to be 15 to 20 on the line, hit them. And these two kids score a touchdown. And he's sitting there on the field, like, getting all excited. So we go to the car, and he's like, hey, Dad, man, I'm a quarterback. I was like, yeah, I can see that. And he goes, but I'm an NFL quarterback. So he's like, he's already kind of NFL potential. I don't know if there's anything that I can do as a first grader. He's a big kid, and he eats really well. He's like, he eats, he eats like all kind of foods. So I don't know if there's an endorsement for him, but you know, I just was checking, checking in. I, I think this is a classic case where Jonathan, you better go take that kid away from that household. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a safe environment. Jimmy Hooper's gonna be Lamar Ball, man. You're gonna call it, yeah. uh, no, but I it's funny talking to kids though, because they're in a car and he's like, Dad, I'm I'm an NFL quarterback. I'm like, you know, you never know what you could be, but you know, just keep humble, keep working, <laughs> stay positive. I love watching you play today, man. Let's get yeah, together. Well, yeah, great effort. Yeah. I'll give you some advice, Jimmy. I remember one time I was talking to my dad and I was like, and he was really big on, like, he let us get away with stuff as kids. We're guys, we're young boys. We get like me and my brother, but he didn't tolerate you messing up in school. That was just not his thing. Education was gold to him. And I totally understood his journey and I respected it. And I think I said something completely, I was feeling myself. I was just, something completely stupid. And I said, well, dad, what do I need to go to college for? I'm going to be a professional football player. And I knew as soon as it left my mouth, I was in trouble. Like you saw it, you could see the words floating to him and his body changing. And I, I, I swear to you, I was like, God, could you, could you, would you bring that yeah. back? And it was too late. It was too late. So right after that, he took me and took me to get a job at McDonald's. I had to work there for three months. And he said, you can't quit. And he, I saw him give a hundred dollar bill to, and this is the eighties, a hundred dollar bill to the manager. And he, I found out later he made a deal. The manager couldn't fire me no matter what. And I got every crappy job, like cleaning the stove, carrying out the grease, carrying the garbage out, everything. And what I learned after that three months is I don't want to do this. Not to people working McDonald's a bad thing. I started using my head and started just busting my butt in school. Like I was like, this is not going to be my future. And yeah, I was like uh, coming to America at McDonald's or whatever. It's like, hey, yeah. man, I'm starting on the fryer. And eventually I'm moving up to cut the lettuce and I'm moving up here, right, Johnson? Like I'm going to eventually move up. And I have no problem. Hey, if you need to work and take care of your family and knock yourself out, but I went from that. My dad was a computer analyst, and I learned that back in there how to use C programming, how to do DOS, which young kids have no idea what I'm talking about. And I went to work at Sears on the loading dock, and it was more money because it was a little more physical. The guy who ran the inventory computer didn't show up, and the guy said, Does anybody know how to do this? I said, I can think I can do it, um, boss. I went over there, and I was handling all the inventory coming, all the truck stuff, leaving returns, making sure the SKUs are right, so it went on the shelf, and, and all this kind of stuff. I did such a great job. They made they let me do it part-time and, and back that guy up. So I was making $8 an hour in the 80s with time and a half on Sundays because I was using this, and I never turned back from that after that. Well, the other thing you mentioned, too, this is something, Mark, I'll talk to parents about. I'm like, okay, 100% pie of scholarship money, mm -hmm. athletic and academic. What is it? Break it down. Yep. And they'll be like, ah, 60, 40, you know, maybe, you know, to give you know, almost even even numbers. And I'm like, no, it's like 88, 12. It's like 88, 85, 15. And that's 15% or 12% athletic. That's so there's more academic money out there. So 
don't get me wrong. You can focus on athletics. You can work on athletics. You can go out there and perform and maybe you get something from it. But academically, there's a lot of academic money out there. And so doing well education-wise when you start high school and academics and, you know, so I know the ACT, SAT, some of the test scores are changing with schools and stuff like that. But there is a lot of academic money out there, isn't there, Mark? Yeah. So I think, you know, we have to separate the power five schools, right? You know, the big time football has 85 scholarships. So, you know, they yeah. probably have 110 on their roster. Some of them are impartial. Some of them are walk-ons. But let's talk about division, you know, lower division one, FCS, I think it's called now, uh, division two, division three, where you get some really good academic schools. Those coaches get slots in admissions. So they're allowed a certain number of exemptions from normal academic requirements. So if you can marry a reasonable academic profile with a attractive athletic profile, again, back to our conversation with Jonathan before, and now you can use athletics to get you into a school that you might not normally get into. That financial aid is real, right? The, 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 the personal financial aid, the family need is real. And the athletic requirement to get in or the athletic um, interest to get in is real. And probably there's no athletic part of that in the smaller schools. And that's probably 95% of the kids that we're talking about. Well, Mark, you know, uh, we always uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing so much, you know, insight and wisdom and knowledge. You know, we have a couple of questions that we'd like to finish out before we let you know, like where we can learn more about the players in L. But the first one is this, uh, in your, what does it mean in life? Say that again. You broke up for a second. Yeah. Okay. In, in your opinion, what does it mean to be a champion in life? So it's a, it's, a, it's a great complex question, and uh, I have a diagram on my computer that I look at every um, so often, and it's a circle, it's a pie chart, and it's called the circle of life. And in that pie chart are all the aspects of your life. It could be family, could be religion, could be work, could be community, you know, could be friends. Everyone has different things, but everyone's pie chart is 360 degrees, and every pie chart is filled with all of these segments. And I think to be a champion in life, you have to have balance, Jason. You have to have a reasonable outlook on what's important. Otherwise, you're never going to be a good community member, never going to be a good spouse, never going to be a good parent. You're never going to be a good friend, right? Because friendship, you know, we understand how that works, right? If one side is gaining advantage over the other, that isn't a good friendship. A good friendship is where both sides win. And I think in life, a good champion is where all aspects complement each other in the circle of life pie chart. You know, I love that because I, I was reaching watch, watching the, cha- the the captain uh, with Derek Jeter and he talked about loyalty one way is stupidity. And I was like, oh, that's a really good quote. You know, he's talking about like whatever, with his uh, Yankees contract. Yes. He's like, I'll be loyal to you, but loyalty one way, that's stupidity. And I don't do that. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a well thought out, you know, answer. And uh, where can people learn more about the players NIL? Where can they find you, Mark, and your company? Uh, is there any resources available to that they can sign up for, put their email in? You know, where can we learn more about the Players NIL? Well, thank you, Jason. Yes, the playersnil.com is our website, and you can register for the class. We have a media page there where we post all of our podcasts. Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow all of us uh, are, are on all social media platforms at the Players NIL. We're constantly posting updates, newsworthy stories, information about our partnerships. And um, please go to the Players NIL and register for our newsletter, if nothing else, so that you can get weekly updates on what's happening in the world of NIL. 
Yeah. And I've, I've seen the newsletters. It's really well done. Very informational. A lot of great content there uh, that you all just provide value even before you know somebody even engages with a con- conversation with you. So um, Mark, again, appreciate your time. Thank you for getting up a little bit early. I know you, you and Jonathan are on the West coast here, so it's a little bit early for you guys, uh, but great conversation nonetheless. Thank you, Jason, Jim, and Jonathan. It's been great to talk about uh, 12-year-olds and about NIL and about life as parents. And uh, I hope that uh, your audience benefited in some way. Absolutely. Thanks, yeah. Mark. Thanks, yeah, Mark. Great, great talking, Mark. All right. Have- well, guys, it was uh, – I learned a lot about the NIL today. And I loved how he talked about, like, 12-year-olds winning for the wrong reasons and getting back to the reason why we play. I think that's so important in today's – you know, shifting the culture is getting back to why we play in the first place. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway I got from this whole conversation is is to mom and dads and parents or whatever support system that you have as a youth athlete or for your youth athlete or for your children is this is a resource. And there's not a lot of them out there, especially ones that are trusted. But this is a resource, and I think you'd be foolish not to give it a shot and, and add it to your toolbox or add it to it as a book in your library, as I've said several times on the podcast, is – you know, you're talking about making major decisions, life-altering decisions, and I think to ignore having a resource like this would be, would be foolish. And I think as, you know, as you heard Mark wrap up and he talked about being a champion life is the circle of life, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, let's go back to kids, 12 years old, you're raising children, whatever, have a balanced life, right? A balanced family life, a balanced life in athletics. And I think that that speaks to me because I see a lot of parents are chasing almost like falling the masses. They're chasing after this, trying to catch a butterfly they're never going to catch. Right. And they're getting overwhelmed. They're getting stressed out. Their family's getting broken. I mean, I see this a lot. Right. And to me is balance and let it go through a process. And with children, let them find different things, have them do different things and find out what they're passionate about. Not what you're passionate about as a parent, but what they are. And then when they find that passion, and like you said, a lot of times it'll be when they're 15 years old, when they're freshman mm-hmm. or high school, sophomore. And then you can start nurturing that passion. You can help them, mm-hmm. right? But I think balance is such a key in what we've talked about today. Yeah. Well, well said, guys. And, uh, you know, it's always great seeing you all. And uh, it's been a little while since we've done an episode. So it's uh, Jonathan's good to see you again. Um, and you know, another great episode here. So many great content, so much great content. So, um, look forward to more in the future and you guys have a great Wednesday. I almost said Friday because I'm used to doing on Fridays. But. Yeah. So have a great rest of the week, guys, and a great weekend. I think we have Labor Day weekend this weekend. So three day weekend. Here we go. Yeah, I hope you're doing something fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Take Jonathan. Bye bye.